Action Network podcast. It's time! Welcome into the Action Network podcast. Friday, July 1st, getting you set for UFC 276. It's at T-Mobile Arena. In Las Vegas, this UFC betting podcast, we always bring the usual crew, former MMA fighter, our MMA analyst at Action Network, Billy Ward, and Sean Zarillo joins us, Action Network senior writer, jack of all trades when it comes to following sports betting. Follow both of these guys in the Action Network app for all of their action when it comes to UFC. Let's start uh, with the main event. We have a lot to get to. We have our favorite underdog plays. We have props. We're going to discuss a couple of fights here. The uh, main event, the co-main, the fight of the night, Riddell versus Turner. Um, we'll have a DFS outlook coming up from Billy Ward, and then also get best bets before we wrap up the episode. So we start with the main event, Israel Adesanya taking on Jared Cannonier, uh, the middleweight title fight. Adesanya is, is a beast, uh, Sean Zarillo. What is your angle on the main event? Yeah, Izzy's phenomenal, but his fights are only as exciting, likely, as his opponents are willing to make them. If they stand at range, Izzy can be very vo- low volume. If his opponents come at him, he prefers to fight off the back foot, step back, and counter. And I think his biggest advantage here, or his two biggest advantages, are speed, in addition to his height and reach, taller and longer fighter. Also, his footwork. He's going to be able to move around this bigger cage, keep Cannonier at bay, and keep countering him probably all day. But Jared does have the more significant power, and when Izzy fights fighters who have big power, he tends to get scared into low-volume affairs. So this could be a relatively boring low-volume fight where the judges have trouble differentiating who won rounds because the striking is so low-volume. And Izzy's money line as it is, is probably a bit wide, considering I generally only like to make fighters big favorites when they have one, a huge finishing upside, or two, a significant grappling advantage. He has neither of those, and at best, he's probably going to win 49-46 or 50-45, where he doesn't cover any particular round by a significant margin. One thing that he does have going for him is the reach advantage, as I mentioned, and particularly with his legs, he's going to try to kick Cannoneer's legs Early in the fight, Jared does a good job of checking leg kicks. So that maybe takes away one of his best weapons. If Jared switches to a southpaw stance, which we've seen him do a lot lately, he can fire kicks to the body. So maybe we see more body kicks from Izzy in this matchup, unless Jared decides decides to fight orthodox, which could change up the proceedings, and then he'll get his leg kicked again. So how Jared wants to approach this fight will probably determine how exciting it's going to be. Proven very durable, even though he does get hurt in most of his fights, he tends to recover pretty quickly. He has the power to knock Izzy out, has power in both hands, and he has the power to keep the optics of the round close. So I don't love the money line on either side. I think Jared is the money line side if you're going to choose between them, and Billy will get to that in a minute. But my favorite bet that I found on this fight was Izzy and the over two and a half rounds. Been to the deeper waters more often, can definitely slow Jared down with those kicks, potentially put attritional damage on him and finish him late or maybe take a wide decision. So the Izzy in over two and a half rounds prop of points bet is minus 140. I like that prop, but I don't really love any other winning method props, the total or the money lines on either side of this fight. Billy, Adesanya has been hyping up the killer gorilla, giving him uh, confidence, or maybe it's just like reverse jinx 
confidence here. Uh, but as Sean mentioned, I mean, Izzy is the, the significant favorite on the money line. You can find, I'm looking at DraftKings now, Cannoneer is at plus 380. What is the angle on the main event? It's funny you mentioned that. I've always been just a little bit weirded out when guys are too respectful or too nice to their upcoming opponents. Oh, it's, it's normally like any sport. It's like, come, come on. You don't really mean that, right? Like, Yeah, and you just you just wonder what the guy's angle is. You know, like I'd yeah. rather, you know, when I was fighting, I'd rather a guy get in my face and shove me at weigh-ins or whatever. It's like, okay, I know what this is. This is what okay. we're expecting. Good to know. So, Sean, going forward, we got to give Billy a bunch of crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, you know, just when they're too nice and all that, it, it weirds me out a little bit. But the other angle on that is it's strange – to a degree, because it seems to be looking past him a little bit in terms yep. of Alex Pahea, which we're going to mention later. And that's one of those angles. And I don't want to be this guy who just calls all the long shot, you know, title fights and, you know, eventually gets one and feels super excited about it. But I think there's an angle on Cannoneer here. You know, first we've got a little bit of Israel possibly looking past him. But I also, you know, his only loss was to Yan Blackowicz at 205. But Cannoneer is a former heavyweight. He's going to be a lot bigger and stronger than Izzy physically. The reach isn't as significant of a disadvantage in this one. He's got super long arms. You know, it's only a two and a half inch reach disadvantage for him, which is closer than a lot of Israel's opponents have been. And I think he can make this a dirty fight, shove him into the cage, maybe attempt a takedown or two. And then we've got those power optics, just the way fights have been judged lately. If you're the only one who looks like you threw a heavy shot, even if it doesn't land clean, even if you don't sit the guy down, a lot of times that can steal around. So, you know, I'm not saying he deserves to be the favorite or anything like that. And I didn't even like his money line odds earlier in the week at about plus 300. But 380 is a pretty good price on that. So I'm going to take a little bit of a sprinkle on Cannoneer. Just there's enough angles where I think that could go his way. Going to the co-main, Alexander Volkanovsky against Max Holloway, the featherweight title. Holloway here, uh, Billy's got an opportunity to to get back at him, right? Uh, 0-2 against his toughest rival to date. How do you factor that into handicapping the co-main event? Yeah, it's interesting. We don't see a lot of trilogy fights where one fighter won both of the first two meetings. And I think how or, uh, Volkanovski said it, I don't know, a while ago when they announced this fight. He's like, what, are we just going to keep fighting until he gets one? Which, you know, I don't think they quite do that. But it's interesting because now, of see, Holloway... that's, that's the opposite. That's the coming at you, like, right. right at you, right? No, no hiding. Right. And, you know, it's it's interesting from a matchmaking standpoint, because if Holloway wins, you feel like you have to run it back. But are these two just going to fight forever? <laughs> but but the interesting thing here is just trying to project who's going to be getting better since the last one. The last one was razor close. You know, a lot of people thought Holloway won. It was an interesting fight where Holloway won two rounds pretty clearly and Volkanovski just snuck by with three of them, where if we were doing like pride style scoring, it would have easily been Holloway as the winner. But when we're going round by round and judges are really reluctant to give 10 eights, that kind of produced Volkanovski. But yeah, you know, it's, it's really just trying to project who's going to get better versus the last one. And I think it's Volkanovski. He's continued to look better. He's a little bit older, but he has less years in the sport. He's been in less wars and he seems to come with better game plans in most of his fights. You know, he looked really good late in the fight making the adjustment last time with switching to some takedowns and he doesn't need to get the takedown for that to pay off. He just needs Holloway to be thinking about it. You know, Volkanovski started out striking him once he mixed in a takedown or two. I think these guys are sharp enough and are going to have a good enough game plan that they'll go to that early and not let this one get away from him. But, you know, if they do, I'm definitely looking at Volkanovski live after the first round or two. Between the leg kicks and the takedowns and his cardio, he's just a perfect fighter to bet live. You know, he builds as the fight goes on. Those leg kicks do damage going on or going into the fight. 
And then my favorite pre-fight bet, I played around with a lot of different combinations here, but you can get Volkanovski in over two and a half at minus 125. And I prefer that versus his uh, decision line, just because you can cover some late stoppages. You know, if he puts him down in the fifth, just on attrition or the fourth, the way he did against Cheng Sung Jung, then you're covered on that. And at minus 125, you don't have to lay a ton of juice to get there. Volkanovski, the great Holloway is hashtag blessed. Um <laughs> The current money line odds, Balkanovsky's at minus 200, Holloway plus 170. Sean Zarilla, what's your take on the Cobain? Yeah, that's about where the money line closed for their second matchup. So not a big change in odds. And I'm not sure that Volkanovsky necessarily covered that price in their last matchup. Did more of the minute winning, but was knocked down in both the first two rounds, which led Holloway to taking those. The debate is if Holloway won any of three, four, or five. One judge gave him round five. I've seen some people argue that he has a pretty good argument to winning round four. Though Volk did some work to take that round back late in the round. So here's a couple of things that I think have changed in how judging works since the first fight. Takedowns are no longer scored. Takedowns without damage are no longer scored for a fighter. Volk got three takedowns and 90 seconds of control in that fight. Didn't land a single ground strike. So you take that out of the equation, maybe Holloway swings one of those rounds. Secondly, Holloway is going to be landing more head strikes. Volkanovski is going to be landing more kicks. So depending on who you have sitting cage side, judging the fight, maybe that lends more credence to the Holloway side. And thirdly, Max kind of took his foot off of the gas in those later rounds. And his next fight after he came back and landed a UFC record 400 plus significant strikes against Calvin Cater, kept the volume up for all five rounds, kept the volume up for all five rounds against Yaria Rodriguez. So maybe if Holloway just goes balls to the wall and berserk and keeps the volume up for over the course of 25 minutes, He's able to steal one of those final three rounds as well. But he probably, like Billy said, needs to win those first two rounds in order to win the fight. Volkanovski does seem to get hurt in all of his fights. Max isn't a particularly big finisher, though. I see this fight probably going the full 25 again. Don't see value on the goes the distance prop, considering how high paced of a fight it's likely going to be. And Holloway even got hurt in that Yara Rodriguez fight as well. Never been knocked down in his career. Volkanovski knocked down. Pretty consistently, like I said, gets hurt in almost every fight, but manages to recover. So this should be another close and competitive fight. I see it going to decision again. The question is who's able to secure those three rounds. Certainly agree that Volkanovski should be favored, but maybe it should be closer to 40, 40 or 45% on the Holloway side instead of about 35% where you're getting him. So Holloway by decision at plus 310 is a smaller bet for me. But if this goes to the scorecards, I want plus money on the Holloway side. And I want plus money on whoever I can get in general on this, what would be a close and competitive fight. So Holloway by decision plus 310 and made that line closer to around plus 275. You could also bet his money line at where it is currently, but I see roughly the same value on his decision prop as I do his money line. Our, two seven, our UFC 276 betting preview rolls on uh, 12 fights. Tate Murphy was canceled a while back in case you were wondering. Um, we'll have more on the full slate when we get to the DFS preview. Next up, Favorite underdog plays, and as we always encourage, no matter the sport, no matter the event, shop those lines. Billy, we will go to you first. Yeah, right now I'm looking at uh, Gabe Green. He's about plus 150, depending on where you're looking. And he's taking on Ian Gary, who's kind of had some attention behind him as one of the up-and-coming prospects for the UFC. You know, he's Irish, which they seem to be into, given how well Conor McGregor worked out for him. But I really wasn't impressed, especially in his last fight against Darian Weeks. You know, he fought it real cautiously. 
you know, landed some shots, didn't really mix in much of anything else. And even his UFC debut, he ended up winning by first round knockout, but he didn't look super great before that. And just based on his record and what we saw out of him in Cage Warriors, I don't really see any grappling upside for him here. So if he's not going to come out and hunt for a finish on the feet really aggressively and he doesn't have the grappling upside, that just goes back to what Sean said in the main event where, you know, if you're going to bet a favorite, he needs at least one of those two things. And I'm not seeing it. So with Gabe Green getting the line he is, he's a super active striker. He's fought really tough competition. He apparently got laser eye surgery like before his last fight and could only see out of one eye very well before that. I don't know. That's something I heard this week. No idea how much that matters but he's the more active striker he throws heavier and he has most of the grappling upside here so i i really like him at plus 150 even with one eye well he's got two eyes now two eyes i really now. like him with two, with the two eyes now if he just had the one i don't know fair enough i'm curious what the line would change to if he only had one but that doesn't matter anymore because he got lasik good for him uh sean zarillo going to the underdogs and please sean feel free to also transition into our fight of the night because you're also going to take that angle as well. Well, I'll save my favorite underdog for our fight of the night, which we're going to talk about very shortly. So let me give out an underdog by decision, similar to what I did last week at a crazy price. This will lead into our favorite prop section, maybe. The Andre Muniz-Uriah Hall fight. Now, Billy and I would both agree that Muniz is a way better fighter than Rodolfo Vieira from last week. But this fight sets up with a similar dynamic where you have a grappler who is probably going to get a round one finish via submission. But if he doesn't, the fight could get a little crazy. And I think that's what you have here with Muniz. Three consecutive first round submissions. You look back to his contender series fight, other fights earlier in his career. When he isn't able to get that first round finish, it gets a little wonky because he doesn't have the best cardio, doesn't necessarily have the best chin. And Uriah Hall has the type of crazy power where he could put any man out. That said, I actually like this fight to go to a decision. You can get around plus 350 out there. I projected this closer to plus 300. I set a similar dynamic to the fight last week with Curtis and Vieira, where the line just got too crazy towards the finishing side. The middleweight average is closer to 60% on finishes. The line is telling you this is going to end around 70 to 75% inside the distance. So I think it's just floated up a little bit too high. Plus 350 to go to a decision is an underdog bet technically, but also Hall to win by decision of plus 10 to one, or 10 to one, I think is interesting as well. If Muniz can't get him down multiple times for multiple rounds, Hall will be landing the more effective strikes, probably mocks, knocks Muniz out if he's able to land the more effective strikes. But if he doesn't, I could see him winning a close split decision as well. So 10 to one on Hall by decision projected that closer to eight to one and the fight to go to a decision around plus 350 are both smaller bets for me, but I think bets worth taking. And then Hall live after round one. We saw him survive on his back for extended stretches against Antonio Carlos Jr. in a very similar stylistic matchup. So Muniz most likely to win in round one. But if he doesn't, and Hall has never been submitted, he's shown that he can survive against grapplers. I think this fight gets really interesting. So our fight of the night is Brad Riddell v. Jalen Turner. Zarella, we'll go right back to you here. You're in the uh, you're going to the dog. I have Brad Riddell plus 125. Now, I expect that Jalen Turner will probably win round one and a similar dynamic where I expect if Turner doesn't win in round one, he's probably going to tire out and Riddell starts to take over. Turner is a huge lightweight, definitely cuts down a lot of weight to get to 155. But when you cut that much weight, you tend not to be able to sustain it. And he also gets a bit crazy trying to finish people, which saps that gas tank further. So Riddell plus 125 is a small bet for me. Riddell by decision of plus 380 is a small bet for me. And then I'm also going to look live after round one on the Riddell side. 
he's just a very accomplished fighter, very well-rounded fighter. Could actually see him getting some takedowns here, even though he is the much smaller man. He's shown some good double leg takedowns, pushing people up against the fence. As Turner tires, those takedowns should come easier. But Riddell is the striking coach for City Kickboxing. Very, very accomplished striker. Tons of Muay Thai fights, kickboxing fights. Guy is just very well-rounded. And I think Turner, who has this huge finishing upside, is the one taking the step up in competition. So Jalen Turner, very exciting, interesting, lightweight. Certainly love watching his fights. But Riddell, just a bit more well-rounded. Billy, your, your angle does, uh, does reflect Turner here. Yeah, and you know, I think Sean and I, to an extent, see this one the same way. I just think Turner eventually gets that finish. And it's, it's really, for me, because he does have so much submission upside, too. You know, he's won a few fights by submission in the UFC, a few before that. So I agree with Sean. I think we could see um, Brad Riddell take him to the ground, but I don't know that that's going to work out for him. I, he's got super long arms, long and, you know, long reach. That makes it a lot easier to wrap up chokes, triangles, that kind of thing. And for a guy who's more of a striker like Riddell, if he shoots in, he could get caught with a guillotine going in, get his back taken, get triangled. All those things are in play. So when you can get him at plus money, plus 135 on the inside the distance line, I don't really see Turner lasting to win this by decision. So it's a pretty binary fight. I think if he wins, it's inside the distance. You can get that at plus money. That feels like an easy one for me. On to our favorite props. Same message as before. Shop the lines uh, before Saturday. 12 fights. Zerillo, what's our favorite prop for the weekend? Sean O'Malley by decision. I don't really understand why his finishing odds are lower than his decision line. Pedro Munoz is extremely durable. Never been finished in his MMA career. Very tough-nosed guy. But there's a big reach discrepancy here. Munoz is going to be coming up short on a lot of his punches. O'Malley, the faster striker, taller and longer fighter. The key is whether O'Malley gets hurt by Munoz's leg kicks. O'Malley has shown some weaknesses to the leg in the past, had a fight stopped against Marlon Vera because his leg basically shut off from calf kicks, had his leg broken in another fight where he continued to fight and actually ended up winning. But O'Malley by decision around plus 200, I made that prop closer to plus 175. I'm just surprised that his decision line is higher than his finish props considering how, how durable Munoz is. So I actually see this fight going the full 15 minutes unless Munoz finishes it first. O'Malley on the scorecards plus 200 is my favorite prop bet. All right, Billy, what do you got for a prop? Yeah, just to comment on Sean's real quick, I think it's just the hype on O'Malley has just gotten so out of hand that everyone's like, oh, he's definitely going to knock him out. Like he couldn't even sit down Chris Moutinho. You know, they called it a TKO, but if that's Pedro Munoz in there, they probably let that one even keep going. So I'm totally with Sean on that one. But uh, I'm targeting the old guy fight. We've got Donald Cerrone maybe actually fighting this week after continuing to get that canceled on fight day. But this time he's facing Jim Miller, who's knocked out two people within the last year. He's also 38, but, you know, he's still got big power. And Cerrone is a notoriously slow starter who is just no chin anymore for a guy who likes to swing wild and get in there and mix it up. He's Cerrone is much taller, but he only has a two inch reach advantage. So I think that's not really that big of a factor. And yeah, I mean, he's been knocked out in I think three or four of his last five or six fights, but you can get Jim Miller by knockout at plus 310 on FanDuel, which just seems insane. You know, I also like the first round prop. So if these lines move by the time anyone's listening to it, whichever you're getting better odds on between knockout and first round is how I'm playing this. But yeah, I just can't believe it's gone this far. I don't really see Jim Miller winning a decision. I don't think he makes it the whole way against Cerrone, but I think he puts him away fairly quickly. And I don't really see it being a submission either, so. Seems to like Billy's point, I do like Cerrone by decision around plus 550. Very, very, very small bet for me. I do not like betting Cowboy. And I do agree with Billy that he's probably shot. 
but I think fighting at welterweight maybe suits him a little bit better. I think he's probably the side if you're looking just at money lines. I agree with Billy's assessment, probably Miller in round one, but if this extends, Stroney live after round one, and then by decision at plus 550, I think is the other way to play it. Okay, time for our DFS preview of the weekend. 12 fights. Izzy Adesanya is your most expensive fighter, Billy, at 9,400. By the way, Sean O'Malley, the nickname Sugar, got to pay up for him. He's 9,300. Uh, and then, it, per usual, you get your five fighters, 9K or more, and then you've got to work your way into the 8K, 7K range and all the way down to the uh, high 6,000 range. What are What is our approach from a DFS standpoint for GPPs and in, uh, in cash? Yeah, you know, for cash, it's an interesting one because we've got the two title fights, which I think, you know, generally the strategy here is just jam all four of those guys in there. Yep. But I don't know if, if that's going to be as popular this week without Asanya. He's put up some pretty dif- disappointing drafting scores considering his salary. And then we've got Muniz and O'Malley right there. You know, in the Fantasy Lab projections, we've got both Muniz and O'Malley projected for more points than Adesanya, even though those fights are only three rounds. Some of that is based on the stoppage odds getting out of hand on those guys. But still, so I can see, you know, a route towards fading Izzy. And I also think he's a, just a real bad GPP play. I don't think he comes out very aggressively or throws a high volume. So unless he gets an early stop, it's really hard to see him being in the top lineup so you know it's a 12 fight card as you pointed out we dropped someone it's just going to be another one with some of these huge contests we're trying to stay unique is the name of the game and you can definitely do that if you're playing holloway like you know sean's big on holloway this week i think cannoneer's got a point got a uh angle so if you're playing one of those guys it's real easy to save some salary leave some salary on the table and i also think stacking holloway and volkanovsky just given the output between those two guys is a good strategy uh, Holloway in his last fight didn't actually put up a great DFS scores, but neither of the knockdowns Sean referenced were scored that way by DraftKings. I think they both should have been. That would have been an extra 20 points on Holloway. And that fight would have made the optimal lineup with both of them in there last time if that was the case. But yeah, you know, the big question I think is whether you're going with Adesanya, Mooney's, or O'Malley or two of those three. I know Sean's big on both of those to go to a decision. Or not big, but season angle to those going to a decision. So you got anything for me on those top fights, Sean? Yeah, Holloway's volume, I think, kind of forces you to put him in the lineup at an underdog price. Um, I actually think of maybe avoiding Izzy and Cannoneer and what could be a very low-volume fight over the course of 25 minutes may be a good strategy. Just looking at uh, Volkanovski, 43 DraftKings points uh, the last time they met July 11th, and then um, on the other side, uh, yeah, Vol- Volkanovski, yeah, 43 points, and I'm just looking for um... – Holloway, 43, right, the last time? Holloway, what did I say? Volkanovski, I apologize. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so if he gets the 63 with the two knockdowns he should have had, that's a real good score for the salary he had then and now. If he's at 43 and they don't score those, you're pretty disappointed. So it's interesting how some of those weird scoring things can can really mess it up. And Volkanovski, last three fights, has hit 100-plus fantasy points, 103 against Holloway in July of 2020, previous fight in December of 1994. Yeah. Okay. Very good. So that's uh, always good stuff. Differentiation is important when it comes to the DFS landscape. And probably fading O'Malley as well. You know, he's going to be a very, very highly owned fighter. And like I said, I expect him to win a decision. I don't necessarily see him getting that finish bonus. Okay. Before we wrap up the Action Network podcast, UFC 276 betting preview, we need best bets. We will go to Sean Zarillo first. Rodriguez Duplessis against Brad Tavares. I mentioned before the middleweight average for finishes around 60%. And Duplessis has 100% of his fights and inside the distance for his career. All 16 of his wins and both of his losses have been inside the distance. Brad Tavares, not the biggest finisher. 
Duplessis is a huge finisher. And if he doesn't finish those fights, he tends to gas out. So I could actually see Tavares putting Moe late. You can bet this line at around a pick and price to end inside the distance. I got minus 110. It's still around minus 125. I think this line should be at least minus 150 based on the divisional average, if not higher, in my opinion, closer to minus 165. So Duplessis and Tavares to end inside the distance. You could also play Duplessis to win inside the distance himself at around plus 135, plus 140. I would make that line closer to plus 110. Okay, Billy, best bet for UFC 276. Yeah, I'm getting greedy with the pay-per-view. I got two week, I got two this week. But uh, first one I'm looking at is Alex Pahea against Sean Strickland. This line's bounced around a little bit. I saw Pahea as much as like minus 115, minus 120. He's currently even money. And he's obviously the better striker here, right? Like he was, you know, glory champion, knocked out is in kickboxing. And Strickland is mostly known as a striker. He's got some grappling upside. But he also just seems like the kind of guy who's more than willing to stand there and trade leather and try to, you know, prove how tough he is against clearly a better opponent in that arena. So Alex Pahea at even money. I also like Pahea's knockout odds. I think Strickland kind of just forces him to be a little bit more aggressive than he was in the last fight, but even money, as long as it's still there, I'm taking that. And then the other one, I'm just fading another old guy. We got Brian Barberina fighting Robbie Lawler. Robbie is 40. The only fight he has won in the last five years was against Nick Diaz, who clearly didn't want to be there. Before that, it was Donald Cerrone, who's also in the twilight of his career. You know, if these guys are in their primes, Robbie obviously just murders Barbarina. But Barbarina's 33. He's on a two-fight win streak. Just beat up another old guy in Matt Brown, even though that was a very close fight. And you can get him at even money as well. I think he should be a pretty significant favorite here. So both of those at even money are where I'm going. Billy with hot takes on the olds, uh, positive and slightly negative. There you go. All right, that is going to do it for your UFC 276 betting preview here on the Action Network podcast. We're with you every Friday when, of course, there is an event coming on Saturday. We will be with you for the next couple of weeks uh, here on the Action Network podcast. For Billy Ward and Sean Zarillo, Brendan Glasheen, thanks for tuning in. Best of luck this weekend. Everyone be safe. Have a great holiday weekend, and we will join you again next week.